Welcome to Quest with Kirk Durston. I'm your host, Sheldon Kotick. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us five stars if you like it. If you don't like it, please tell us why. And now, Quest with Kirk Durston. Hello, Kirk. How are you doing today? I think I'm doing all right. Um, yep. Can't complain too bitterly. Uh, well, I could complain about the weather out there. It is pretty bad. Are you getting some snow? Or just yeah, nasty it's rain? It's just very heavily overcast and mm-hmm. drizzling. It's it's just those day, that kind of a day that, um, you know, not the most cheery. No. Nevertheless, I got a coffee here, so... That, that'll always brighten the weather. <coughs> Excuse me. That's not COVID, by the way. <clears throat> Another reason for celebration. No good. Um, I'm, I'm still uh, coughing up a little bit, but I think it's now the uh, asthma issue. So uh, I've yeah. got my little puffer here, which may be working. I'm not, it's hard to tell. I'm not mm-hmm. dead. So it's doing yeah. something. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, last time we had uh, Jonathan on pre-Easter. That was a good conversation. I really enjoyed that. We'll have to have some uh, him back on and uh, a few others, I guess, uh, over the next little while. But uh, anything come out of that conversation that you saw? I didn't see anything. Um... Uh, no, not really, actually. I think last time I checked, there, I don't recall seeing any comments. Yeah, I didn't see any either, um, but you're getting some from your Sam Harris demolishes Christianity and Kirk Durston responds yep. video. Um, yep. You haven't had a t- chance to respond to them yet in the comments, but uh, looking through here, whether there's any easy ones to pick up. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. Sam Harris one. Uh, I react to a video by Sam Harris that just went up uh 2, 2 a.m. this morning, my time. But when I got up, there were already, I think, about 45 views, I guess, from people in Europe or the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's um, Sam Harris is a big name, big name in the atheist world, so I'm yeah. expecting there will be people commenting. Now, the the video that you were responding to was a clip out of a debate. It wasn't the full debate. It That's wasn't right. f- Sam's full um response to William Craig um but when somebody takes a clip I don't think was it on Sam's channel or was it just a no. yeah so somebody, somebody takes a clip did. and they say he demolishes Christianity yeah. but actually doesn't respond to any of the actual evidence that William presented and really just appealed to emotion yeah, I think a lot of times people label their little YouTube videos of somebody demolishing or destroying or whatever it is, just for clickbait, just, yep. you know, just to, but in reality, um, I, I think uh, Sam Harris did a, uh, has a, a emotional, there is an emotional uh, chain jerking, I call it there. And sometimes it's just there to get people riled up and upset and mm-hmm. angry against God. But uh, there's no attempt really to think deeper on these things. So uh, we'll see how the comments go. And maybe next week we can we can pick that up and start responding to whatever. So, like, as I was watching his 
uh, response and listening to you, a couple of things were coming to my mind. Uh, one, he didn't actually present any evidence for God not uh, um, not existing. He basically just said, if God exists, he's not the kind of God I like. Yeah, uh, I think the debate was actually on morality, uh, but the existence of, of course, God as the moral standard is very much in that debate. But, you know, the problem is, and I see this all the time, <clears throat> it does not logically follow that because you don't like how so-and-so talks or works or whatever, that therefore they don't exist. Um, if that were the case, politicians would be remarkably scarce. <laughs> I'm just doing my taxes, and yeah, I agree. <laughs> so it, it, we still have to deal. I mean, even if God does not work the way we think God should work, and in fact, we should expect, given that, um, <clears throat> let's say there's you and somebody else, and that other person knows a ton about some particular topic, and you know virtually nothing, and then you're both thrown into a situation where you have to make decisions about that topic, your decisions, you'll be making those on the little bit that you know, and you'll look over there at that person who knows a ton, and you might not agree with those decisions. They don't make sense to you because that person over there is making his decisions on a way more information than you have. Same for God. Mm -hmm. We're just groping our way through life, and we have no idea what sort of consequences we're unleashing with everything we do, think, and say. God knows all of that information. So the kind of decisions of what God allows and doesn't allow in this world, we would expect to differ radically from what we would allow if we were in charge based on our tiny little bit of knowledge there. Mm -hmm. it, I, it makes me uh, think of um, some of the people that have just deconstructed their faith and, and um, really struggled with what they ended up with, which was, um, I don't like the God that I was mm -hmm. in my head following. Therefore, I need to totally push away. Instead of looking at what the real God of the Bible is yeah. and, and adjusting their faith based on, um, what the Bible actually said instead of what they're expecting or what they're wanting out of it. Oh, yeah. Huge problem. I think uh, it's so common, e even amongst theists and Christians, mm -hmm. to have a notion of God that's quite a bit off, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, even some former Christians who have abandoned their faith and become atheist agnostics, in talking with them, wow, the view of God they had, I would toss that God too. I mean, I'm not interested in that one that they particularly believed in it's so important that we we actually try and understand the real god as best we can and uh there's no shortcuts necessarily to that uh, and something i just thought of now when when moses was up on the mountain aaron and the israelites are down in the bottom he just rescued them from egypt uh, God rescued them from Egypt. He's now uh, working with Moses on some on some uh, uh, rules, uh, Ten Commandments. So Moses isn't there, and even in the midst of all of that, the Israelites create this golden calf. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of what 
we do as Christians too, is if things aren't going exactly the way we expect, or if God isn't answering our questions, we create this new God. And it might not be a calf out of gold, but it might be another vice that um, maybe it's overindulging in TV or or food or, or whatever it is, friends, you, you, you turn away from the true God and you try and fill a gap that you've, you've identified with something else, which is idolatry in itself. Yeah. It's worshiping or it's, it's bowing the bending the knee before a fake God, which we tend to very much do. And that, um, that kind of relates to our free will ability to be able to not, God doesn't um, put, you know, download the information in our heads and make us uh, believe the real God. But I think he gives us enough information that it's then the onus is on us. And this is where free will comes in as to what we're going to do with that, pursue that, or, uh, say, well, I'm not really comfortable with where that's going. I want to invent my custom design, my more like a pet dog that knows its place. It's there when you need him, but the rest of the time goes and sits in the corner or in his dog kennel. And it's remarkable. And, pl- and, and plays a role of scapegoat. Yeah, yeah. Blame, you know, blame the dog. Um, blame God. But that's that is an issue, and uh, I think that comes out a lot in Sam Harris's um, video that I responded to today that I, that I just put up. So I have one, I have one more question about that. Um, as you've talked to atheists, and I notice a commonality between what Sam Harris is doing with the problem of evil and suffering, and um, and a lot of the people that I've engaged with who have a problem with God, it's often around the problem of evil and suffering. Um, what is the actual, so if there is no God and all of these bad things are still happening, why is it, why does it feel so bad? Well, the feeling bad could be different physically. That would be easy to explain. Like if I'm sitting on a, a, a thorn, uh, I can explain why I feel bad, but, uh, maybe what you're getting at is why do we have this sense of something being violated, some sort of standard of justice being violated? Like, and, like a child being a child dying. Oh yeah. Early, or mm-hmm. suffering with cancer. I have lots of friends with with kids that are going through cancer right now, and it hurts even listening to yeah. what they're saying and what they're going through. I feel pain. Yeah, we do feel pain, um, and it's interesting that um, animals. Now we can't class all animals exactly the same; they're not all the same. But I have grown up with animals, basically on the farm with cats, dogs, cattle, horses, mm-hmm. chickens, pigs, um, and I notice that animals don't seem to grieve very much the loss of their child. Now some. I know there's instances where maybe um, um, there is a mother will hang around its dead young or bring, carry it around even. but uh, Or a dog, uh, dog around its master. That's a common one. Yes. Uh, where the cat is. will eat the master. The dog will actually 
mourn yeah. the master. <laughs> cats, they're they're something else. Those <laughs> <cats>. <laughs> Speaking of things that and, want to be God, I, I mean, I personally witnessed cats eating their young uh, on the farm. You know, I, I it's just totally. I don't have a. I don't agree with that at all. What cats do? Those are evil, evil guys. Evil cats. E- evil things. Yeah, but. Um, no, it does seem to say, like, even when you listen to uh, Sam Harris in his rebuttal, it does seem to imply that there is some standard of beauty and goodness that's being violated. And that standard is bigger than just simply the no harm principle that I think probably he, he seems to allude to at different times. Like, it's just wrong to harm people, therefore... Uh, that's our moral standard, but that is a pretty simplistic one because there are times when we need to harm someone. It's the good thing to do. And let me give you an example uh, for myself. I I had such a traumatic experience in as a I was probably two and a half to early three when my mother took me to the clinic to get a vaccination, probably for smallpox. I I didn't. She told me I was going to get a needle. I didn't really register what that was. But it was such a traumatic experience. I remember to this day, many decades later. So what happened is the nurse pulled out this needle or the doctor, I don't remember which one it was, and started coming for me. And at that point, I started fighting for my life. I, I wanted out of there. And um, they had to call in an extra nurse to help restrain me. Plus, my mother was helping them. And as a little kid, my own mother was helping them stick a needle in me. And it was, it was, I was, I, th- I thought I was going to die. So for, because of that experience, I remember it to this day. I remember, I don't remember the, uh, what happened afterwards. Well, I do remember I, when I got home, I got a little lecture, but the whole thing was traumatic, but it was, I saw it as harmful and it did hurt, but it actually prevented a much greater harm down the road. We're talking smallpox here, probably is the smallpox vaccine. Got a scar right here to this day. So I would much rather get a a little bit of harm with that needle than have a much greater problem with smallpox later on. And so it becomes simplistic to say, don't harm people. In fact, here's another example. You're sitting on a transit bus uh, let's say a, a man sitting on a transit bus, somebody comes down the aisle and the man sticks out his foot to deliberately trip that person. But the person sees it and actually steps over and proceeds down the aisle. No harm done. Nobody was harmed. Another instance, a man is sitting in the on the bus. Somebody comes down the aisle and the man accidentally, with no intention whatsoever, the person coming down the aisle trips over the man's foot and the man feels terrible about it. The person trips, falls, knocks their teeth out on the steel bar of the seat of another seat on the bus and substantial harm is done. Now, let me ask you, which person is more evil? The man who tried to harm someone but failed or the man who was horrified that he might harm someone, but actually harm someone. Which man would be more evil? I think we would go with the guy who did not harm anybody, but intended to. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for intent there. Um, intent. Yeah. So intent, the state of a mind, the state of a person's mind, and again, free will enters into this. Did you intend to harm versus a person who did not intend to harm? 
we think the person who intended to harm but failed is more evil than the person who did not intend to harm but actually harmed. And so we have this written right into our a lot of our judicial system, the intent, mens rea, guilty mind. Is there an intent to carry out this action or was there? And so free will, again, enters very front and center, even into our judicial system, even though the trend today in psychology and science and so forth is to deny that we have free will because it's incompatible with a materialistic view of the world. So that's Sam Harris's, I think, his, his no harm principle. He's bringing that in, but utterly fails to flesh that out. Mm-hmm. And um, it's... And it doesn't explain why we feel justice is being violated here, that the man who tended to harm but didn't has violated something. And it's not that he harmed anybody. There's something else that's been violated here. And, and listening to Sam, he, he, he really does, um, he has an idea of an absolute morality. Yes. That Well, he might deny that, but he certainly talks as if he does. Yeah, based on, he would say, it, I think it's common agreement around a morality that would be common across cultures and all of those things. But I think we, we can see quite clearly in the world we live in right now, there is no, there is no common agreement. Like even looking what's going on in Ukraine, there's no agreement between um, the Russian army and the rest of the world on what is what is uh, morally okay to do in even in a time of war. Like, um, yeah, it's it's a genocide going on there because they don't think there is such a thing as a Ukrainian. Well, that raises the problem of common agreement, or in philosophy, we might call it a con- contractarian view, like some unwritten social contracts we can all get along together. But the problem is, is not all societies, we would say, are equally as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would say the way we get along together in our social contract is better than that society over there. But as soon as we point out that, then it no longer becomes a social contract that becomes a standard of right and wrong because we're implying there's even a higher standard still according to which some societies come closer than others in being more morally better or more just. Their social contract is better than that society's over there. So this violation of some ultimate moral standard has to be a, a standard that's higher than just general agreement within a society because as you pointed out there isn't a general agreement uh at least there might be on some really rudimentary things like um killing innocent people but even then uh, that's not an agreement right now (laughs) even then like i pointed out like harris for example is saying thinking that it's a moral atrocity on the part of god to allow let's say nine million children to die per year but yet I think he has no difficulty whatsoever with abortion because he says we have a tendency to justify things and we justify that on the basis of a woman's right to reproductive choice. So there's 40 million abortions per year minimum, according to World Health Organization, whereas Harris is upset about the 9 million who die before the age of five. He's not so upset about this. So there again, you see 
Well, they're both innocent people, supposedly, although we could, you know, that's a whole other discussion. But the problem is, is that we don't even agree sometimes or often. I think on what constitutes an innocent person, we might redefine a person and say, well, that's not a person that I'm, we're, we're terminating over there. That one is. And that's been done in the past with slavery and so forth. Or even in dehumanizing, let's say, uh, a, a, a gen, um, ethnic group that you want to attack. And that was done in, by the, uh, the Nazi party in World War II by dehumanizing, let's say, the Jewish people, for example. Mm-hmm. And so there they're saying, well, we're not attacking innocent people. We've just read, they don't qualify, in other words. Mm-hmm. They're, so not, they're, they're, the they're not innocent. Yeah, they're guilty of being whatever they want to, whatever the other opponents want to portray them as. And it's a sad fact that even in our society today, even in online discussions, there's a lot of dehumanizing going on mm-hmm. uh, within even online social media discussions. Yeah. And that's why I think we often can say things we would not normally say to a person's face, because just having a typewritten discussion online with somebody in a certain way, uh, distances us from the humanity of that person. Yeah. Well, let's get let's get into the free will side of things because I think, um, uh, and the reason we're talking about this is uh, on your reaction to Sabine Hossenfelder's free will video from I guess it's a couple months ago now or a month and a half ago. Uh, Daniel Maye, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, brought in luck. The problem of luck is a worry regardless of materialism when you think about free will. Um, if we posit a supernatural mind, then the worry is still there about somehow in, insufficiently caused choices. And it gets you have a good conversation with them. And in, in that, he brought in a, um, a, a paper on free will remains a mystery by Peter Van Inwagen. And then you had, uh, in, in the searching for it, you found a response by Megan Elizabeth Griffith. Now, I know you haven't read the response yet. And uh, you and I uh, read through this. You probably understood it a lot more than I did. I basically started out by just sleeping on it, putting it underneath my pillow. I didn't get any osmosis out of it I was hoping for. But um, we'll skip the first part. Yeah. Um, but I think we need to do some definitions first because um, – I'm reading this and I'm having to go- do some Google searching. Um, let's start with defining uh, determinism and indeterminism. What is that? Yeah. So whenever we're talking, it seems that we have free will. I mean, it just seems self-evident to us. But when you actually start discussing it, then you see that this is a much uh, more, much deeper project than what we normally would have assumed. And um, so the question is, are our decisions really free or not? So part of that is this, this, this concept of determinism. Now, determinism can be defined as, as uh, your decisions are completely determined. Well, let's start back a little bit. So determinism can be true even if there are no people making what they think are decisions. You can have determinism just in the material world. So let's start with that. That's, That's the, the particles are making the... Yeah, the particles determine everything. Basically, the initial conditions of the universe plus the laws of nature 
entail everything else. So every, that's a, if you assume that physical reality is all there is. That's that is everything is physical. Everything's governed by the laws of physics. So everything that occurs in this world is determined by the laws of nature and the initial conditions. Now it might be very specifically tightly determined, or there might be a little bit of leeway there in quantum mechanics, for example, but it's still, even the probabilities within quantum mechanics have to stay within certain boundaries. So that would be a more of the most basic definition of determinism where in a material world where all we have are the laws of physics and space, time, matter, and energy, everything is totally determined by physics. And that would be Sabine or Sabina, I think is the more proper name. I think I heard her say her name once, Sabina Hassenfelder approach to things. Now, when you come to the way we live our lives in free will, then determinism is very important because <clears throat> if determinism is true, we are just brains and that those brains work only on chemistry and physics, then it follows from that that even what we think are our decisions, when we think we're making a decision that we're just actually, it is just simply a brain state that if you asked why did you have that brain state and when it investigated, it would be a purely scientific explanation of chemistry and physics that go back in some gigantic causal chain all the way to the origin of the universe. So there's no logic there. There's no, um, there's no intent there. It's simply my body, the physical, reacted to other things that are going on, and I mm -hmm. didn't help it. It just happened. Yeah, and that would be Sabino Hassenfelder's position. But it seems to us that there's something else going on when we make decisions, that we're actually weighing options. We're actually thinking according to rules of logical inference. So we might have this proposition or this premise here, and that observation there, and when we put the two together, we can see, well, that's implying that this is going to be the result. This is going to be the conclusion if I take this premise plus that observation. But you see, nature doesn't work that way. The conclusion is not based on some logical inference. The conclusion is simply chemistry and physics outcome of a causal chain. So if, in fact, it seems to us we're thinking according to rules of, of logic and logical inference, that that's not what nature does and it, therefore there might be something else going on here and we call that free will now free will can be de defined can be defined as um, a dis free will decision can be defined as having two satisfying two criteria number one that that decision was not determined by anything antecedent to the decision so previous number two Previously. Yeah, there were no, like previously, um, and it could be basically the state of the universe. It's not determined by the state of the universe or something external to me as the agent. Um, so, and, the, the fine, so I had two other uh, things that we need definitions on, agents and causation. Yeah, so causation is if you have this state. Oh, we're losing you, Kirk. Just so people know, Kirk has that new Elon Musk uh, star uh, satellite system doing his oh. internet. And yeah. uh, so we, we totally lost you there just as you were starting to talk. Yeah. So okay, I'm explaining so me... um, 
The only problem is he's not hooked up directly to it. It's all through Wi-Fi, and we think that might be the problem. So yeah, we're waiting that, for some more parts. I'm waiting for a connector so I can connect directly to my um, my router. But um, so causation. So if, if you have a state of affairs here that produce some sort of effect, then the state of affairs here is the cause of that effect. So causation is the is the explanation for that effect what, so somebody what, stuck their foot out yeah and bill tripped over it then bill is is partially the cause so you can have causation in terms of what was necessary and what was sufficient so you can say it's necessary if, if somebody's going to trip over bill's foot it's necessary that he have his foot in the aisle that might not be sufficient however because you might also require that the person walking down the aisle not see Bill's foot or not accidentally step over Bill's foot. So the necessary requirements for an effect don't necessarily lead to the effect. You have to have also the sufficient, the, 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 the prerequisites for that have to be sufficient for that effect to occur. So that's uh, the area of causation. That is that that event is the consequence of this state of affairs over here. And that state of affairs is the cause of the effect. So agent now, an agent that comes in, we're, we're, when we're talking about people with minds and free will, we're talking about um, an agent or agent causation. That is, when I see, let's say I make a decision to rob the bank, and uh, agent, now we could say under materialistic view of the world, it was the state of the universe that caused that, including the chemistry and physics going on in my brain, producing a brain state where I went out and robbed the bank. So the decision was not free. It was totally determined. And there was no agent causation involved there. It was simply the laws of physics and the initial conditions of the universe. But if you're going to invoke agent causation, then you're saying that there's an additional factor involved here when we're examining effects. So when we're examining an effect, let's say we see a rock at the bottom of the cliff, you might ask, is this a result? Was agent causation involved in this? Maybe, maybe not. We can certainly explain how nature could have produced that rock at the bottom of the cliff. But having spent time in the mountains and having uh, observed that sometimes people will knock a rock off the cliff or on purpose throw it over just to watch it fall, it could have been involved in agent. Agent causation could have been involved as well. But in this case, uh, we live in a physical world, so we can't rule out the influence of all of the state of the universe at any time T when we come to make that decision. Where the agent, where free will comes in is that the agent has the, there's something lacking for that effect to occur. There's another, it's not sufficient, just the state of the universe that to explain why I robbed the bank. There has to be something else in order to bring all the necessary and sufficient conditions into reality or to actualize those things such that I rob the bank. And this is where agent causation comes into play is that the agent themselves can uh, be the first cause of robbing the bank or at least maybe not robbing the bank, but the decision. So we got to distinguish between the decision and the ability to carry it out. So most definitions of free will, people assume 
include the ability to carry out that decision. So let's say if Billy wants to rob the bank and I find out about it and I restrain Billy from doing it, that I've interfered with his free will. No, I've only interfered with his ability to carry out his free decision. The free decision itself was his decision, I'm going to go rob the bank. So that decision becomes the cause of, let's say you want to say something to somebody else. The decision becomes the cause of your lips moving, your brain sending messages to your lips to say such and such. The, the agent causation involved there was you deciding that you're going to say something and then your lips physically moving to say those things and the brain and the muscles, all nerves involved in that are the consequences or the effect, the initial effect. There's going to be a lot more than just that effect, however, because that effect is going to produce, cause other effects to occur in probably an exponential way. So it's never one event in isolation. So I, I, I want to get into this, uh, the comment uh, that uh, Daniel had brought up about luck. Because this is where it gets very interesting for me. Um, so I'll tell a story. You tell me uh, what, how these different things are putting into play. So we're looking for a house five years ago. We flew out uh, from BC to Manitoba to look at a look at a place, and um, in the process, a bunch of things happened. So. Um, my mother-in-law decided to join us for the second day of house shopping, even though she was uh, not feeling well. She decided at the last minute to, to come with us. Even that she decided is an act of free will on her part. We were looking at two different houses out of the nine we looked at the day before. We made a decision, my wife and I, that we would look at two houses again. So decision, uh, is it free will or is it predetermined? Um, the decisions were based on logic. It was based around what the, what the money um, factors were, uh, what the house looked like, do we like it, right side of town, that kind of thing. So we're ready to buy the we're ready to look at the house a second time. We basically determined in our minds that this is a house that we were going to get, even though we were going to look at it a second time. But we had to wait for the uh, real estate agent to show up at the house to look at again. And we had about half an hour. My wife said, hey, let's go to the school board. I said, well, we don't really have enough time. Why don't we just go to the top of the hill that we could see the whole city and take some pictures? It was right across the street from the house. It's the reason we were looking at that house. So we went top of the hill. I take a picture of the house. Now, even though I had access to the camera uh, to see what the picture looked like, I didn't. I just took a bunch of different pictures. We went, as it was getting closer, we went and uh, we're walking to my in-law's truck. They, they stayed in it. And my mother-in-law called us over and said, hey, meet this person that was just walking their dog down the street. We started talking. He's interested in selling his house. It's bigger. It's a little bit cheaper. Or it's the same size, but it has more rooms. It's a lot nicer. 
a little bit older, but it's way, way cheaper. You should go take a look at it. They were planning on bringing a real estate agent in that day to see what it would be worth, but they're just after what they paid for it a year ago. So you got all these different things happening, right? You have all these different events occurring. And so we go look at the house or look at the house that we were already probably going to put an offer on and told the agent, yeah, we'll probably be putting an offer on this. Uh, give us a couple hours. So we'll meet you at your office. Mother-in-law says, you, you really need to go look at this other house. So we went, looked at the other house, ended up, it's the one we, we bought. It, it was just so much nicer. So there's all these different things that come into play. Now, you can call it luck that he just happened to be walking his dog. You can call it luck that my mother-in-law decided at the last minute to um, join us that day because there's no way my father-in-law would have called the guy over to ask him any questions. You can call it luck that the guy even came over because his wife is like, he actually stopped to talk. He's not a talker. He, he would normally cross the street away from people that wanted to talk to him. She couldn't believe he actually stopped. And so there's all these coincidences or lucky breaks. Some people might call it fate. I think it's a God thing. I would call it a, even a miracle. So all these different things are happening, but there's decisions being made by all the different parties, all the different agents that hap that just happen to line up to help us to buy this house. I figure there was about a 20-second period of time that everything had to line up for. And it's even less than that because I just happened to take a picture of the guy walking his dog just as he's about to hit to get to get to the truck. So um, in my mind, God's setting it up. So I have phot photographic proof of the miracle happening. But where is free will coming into play there? Well, that's a pretty complex uh, scenario because there would be a lot of free will decisions involved. And um, <clears throat> it also raises the problem of how we define luck. Um, Okay, Inwagen has, uh, the, and we'll talk about how Peter Van Inwagen's um, particular uh, treatment of luck in his paper works into the scenario you, you made there. In your case, though, uh, we, there's a different, there's a broader understanding of luck, and that is, wow, like coincidence. Coincidence is, is and the, this raises the, the question of what is the state of the world? What, why is the state of the world the way it is? And in your case, that state of the world would be all the scenario you described. What brought about that state of affair, that possible world? So under materialism, it was 100% the laws of nature and the initial conditions of the universe. There were no decisions being made. You think there might've been, but that was just a brain state. So that's one explanation in that case. If you were going to have a little equation here, it would be uh, initial conditions of the universe, let's call that I, plus laws of nature, let's call that L, equals W, where W is the, the particular world, the, the world, the state yeah, of the, the world. State of world, the actual world. So it's I plus L equals W. But 
if free will is involved, it's I plus L. No, let's say, let's bring in God now. So let's say God's orchestrating history, which I would argue that God does. God does, is involved in orchestration of history. So it would be I plus L plus G. In fact, if God creates the, the initial conditions, the universe and laws of laws of fiction, the laws of <laughs> physics... Uh, it's actually just God equals W. God equals the state of the world. He's determined the state of the world through the initial conditions of the world and the laws of physics. But if God's active in the world, you could break that down into I plus L plus G. He's an agent. He's involved in, in, in bringing about certain state of affairs equals W. So a W is your scenario you've described there. But if we have free will as well, then it's I plus L plus G plus, uh, let's just call them A, A for agents, human agents, equals W, the state of the world at that particular time. So this would all have, uh, however you look at it, the state of the world is caused by both material things and agents op making free decisions. That would be, look to us because it's so complex. There's so many equations, so many variables. There's so many causal chains all coming together, walking the dog, parking there. You take in the picture. There's so many causal chains that it, we couldn't uh, calculate how this exactly happened. We would call that luck. Isn't really luck. It's uh, the culmination of God orchestrating history, including knowing ahead of time what your decisions would be about this and that and the other thing bringing that all together to bring about an effect. In the end, you buy a better house. But Inwagen's view of luck here is, uh, we'll really simplify things here, as Inwagen does. He talks about a woman named Alice and whether or not she is going to lie. I think that's, uh, I got the paper right here, whether Alice is going to lie. Yeah, so she, she has a, uh, a choice of lying or telling the truth. Yes, and so remember the definition of free will is that it's not determined by any other circumstances, anything antecedent to Alice making her decision. And Alice could have decided otherwise. Now, it really hinges, uh, Inwagen's view of luck when it comes to our decisions, hinges in what we mean by could have decided otherwise. What do, what do we actually mean by that? But anyways, let's say in world possible world number one, Alice decides to um, actually tell the truth. She could have decided otherwise, but she decided to tell the truth. And Inwagen says, well, let's, let's suppose that God now reverses the tape to bring us to the point just before Alice makes her decision. And we observe what Alice does this time. And let's say she decides to lie because she that was an option. She could have decided that. And in that possible world, number two, she decides to lie. Okay, now let's rewind the tape again and see what she does. And let's say she, we rewind the tape a thousand times and we observe that roughly half the time she lies, she, she decides to lie. And half the time she decides to tell the truth. Well, this isn't looking like Alice then making a rational decision looks at luck is involved. You might as well flip a coin mm -hmm. as to whether she's going to lie or tell the truth. And this is the what he's talking about when he talks about luck. 
And this would apply to your scenario, except much more in a complex way, because every free agent involved that you described there, if you reverse the tape, would they have done exactly the same thing? And so the assumption that Edenwagen makes is that Alice will not do the same thing every time. And if she will not do the same thing every time, because she didn't have to, but I think there's a problem here and I, I, and I haven't thought long enough to articulate it in a very concise way, but the problem is, is that I would, I would, my response is that no, Alice will make the same decision every time. There's no luck involved here because we're assuming Alice is the same person every time and that all the factors that she's contemplating are identical every time. In other words, someone might respond then will say, but well then uh, it, her decision was actually determined because you're saying the circumstances are identical. And if the circumstances are identical every time, then she'll make the same decision every time. But those other circumstances might be necessary, but they're not sufficient for Alice's decision. Alice herself has to decide factoring in the circumstances here, the pros and cons and going through a rational process here, coming to a conclusion not to lie. And that was Alice who was the cause of, who was the necessary cause of that decision, necessary and sufficient. Um, well, there may be other things that were necessary, but they, none of them were sufficient until Alice processes this herself in her mind through logical rules of inference and maybe assuming certain premises like certain moral laws about lying and telling the truth. And on the basis of that, Alice causes the decision. She is the one that causes the decision. Then a brain, as a result, the brain sends out messages to the lips. They start flapping and Alice tells the truth. So what I'm trying to say here is no, it's not going to be just simply because Alice could have chosen otherwise, she has decided that in she will choose option where she tells the truth. She decides that based on her logical thinking capabilities and the moral laws. And if you reverse the tape, she will do it again, simply because this is the same person. This is the same moral laws. She's going to use the same rational justification. Now, there's, there's nothing. Here's a key point. This is not an arbitrary decision on the part of Alice. There's no arbitrariness here. There's no luck involved. She's thinking uh, she's about it and making a decision based on the factors in front decision. of her. And if Alice is the same person every time, she will think the same way every time and when you trace back the decision, it ultimately hits Alice every time. Alice is the first cause of that decision, and it, Alice never changes. Now, if Alice is different in a different possible world, let's say she has different genetics, the circumstances, then of course, but that we're not replaying the same scenario anymore. Or you could say in another scenario, somebody's threatening to kill Alice's children or family if she tells the truth or if she tells let's say she tells the truth well that's a whole different circumstances now she has to process that she brings that into her moral deliberations but the outcome is still a decision 
is still followed from her moral deliberations, and she was the one that presided over those moral deliberations. But I think in Inwagen's case here, we're not talking about different possible worlds. We're talking about this rewinding the tape to the exact precise same set of conditions that were true before Alice began, before Alice made her decision. So there's no luck involved here, I would argue. Now, I, I'm interested, I'm going to let Daniel, Daniel has got some very good, very thoughtful and comments on there. And I'd like to run this by Daniel and we'll see how that goes. Um, but that's my response without having read Griffith's paper. In other words, if we're going to take agent causation seriously, we have to take it seriously. And that is the decision is determined, but not by L plus I is determined by L plus I plus Alice. Okay. Now let's bring God into that. So, um, Romans talks about the renewing of the mind. So uh, we, we also know about the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, living in, in the Holy Spirit. How does that affect free will? Well, that raises the interesting question is how do we know we even have it? I mean, there are so many millions of variables at play that we might think we have it when in fact we don't. So here's why I think we have it is that God doesn't like some of our decisions. Now, God, <laughs> being who he is, if he has determined the initial conditions of the universe and the laws of nature, and he determines our decisions, then he should, unless he's self-contradicting and self-defeating, which I would rule out, uh, he, he would have to like all of our so-called decisions, but not really decisions. He is like the programmer uh, made us... Uh, bring us to a brain state where we decide to do things the way he wants. There's a difference between that and allowing us to do things that he likes or doesn't like. But the fact that God does not like all of our decisions, the fact that he gets upset or he condemns some of the decisions we make, we'll call those sins, shows me and proves basically that God has given us free will. Unless, and the only way out is to say God is self-refuting, self self-contradicting, uh, self-defeating, which I, I rule out. That's, that would be a very low view of God. And so people who argue we have no free will automatically, and I know they would strenuously dissent to this, but they have no argument. The reason I say they have no argument is that in doing my master's program in the problem of evil, I had to read all the papers relevant to this question for, oh, I, I guess 20, 30 years up leading up to that. I did a couple of reading courses on this, plus pro, uh, landmark writings going back hundreds and even a thousand, more than a thousand years. There is no, uh, with the Christians who take, let's say theists who take the idea that we have no free will have to go with a very, with ultimately that God is the first cause of all evil because he, we're not really making free choices here. And if we're not making free choices, what is it that's in? So Cain made, Cain made, uh, or, uh, God made Cain kill Abel. God God made made Adam Adam and Eve. Uh, sin. Yeah. 
Now, some would respond back and say, well, Adam was perfect, so he had, did have free will, but he misused his free will and chose to, to sin, okay? But, and then from that point on, we never had free will. But if we don't have free will, then why does God get upset about a set of conditions that he has complete control over? Um, so we still have that problem. And then why does he say that on judgment day, our thoughts and conscience will testify for or against us with regard to our eternal destiny? So I would tend to agree that basically we're toast unless God intervenes. We don't look for God. In fact, Jesus says no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't seem we freely choose to seek God. Um, it doesn't seem that way at all. I, I don't think I could support that. But one thing God seems to very clearly imply is that we can freely choose to stiffen our neck and resist the the work of God in our life or the work of the spirit in our life in drawing him to herself. So we don't seek God. We don't freely choose to look for God. But once God intervenes in our life and begins to draw, draw us to himself, it very, in many places, seems to imply quite strongly, in fact, literally state that the we do have the ability to resist God's drawing us to himself stiffen our neck, harden our heart, uh, resist the spirit, and therefore we alone will be held responsible for our eternal destiny. God did his part in sort of waking us up from our state of spiritual deadness and drawing us to himself, revealing us to himself. But then at that point, we then take the knife, cut off that cord that's drawing us to God so to speak, and therefore he can hold us responsible uh, for our eternal destiny where we wound up. So, so, so let, let's bring Pharaoh into play here. Mm -hmm. So we've got the plagues and we've got this guy who uh, keeps saying, okay, okay, you win. And then his heart was hardened. Yeah. Now, often, yeah, often it, it sounds like God is hardening his heart so that this story could take place. Is God overruling his free will? Well, there's a few different options here. Number one is uh, one option is that God, well, Pharaoh had no free will. So God is every decision Pharaoh's making is is completely determined by other things besides Pharaoh. He's got no moral responsibility in this whatsoever. It's like me taking a hammer and hitting myself on the head. I might like, like that, but I only have myself to blame because the hammer has no free will. I am total control of the circumstances of that hammer, and it's hitting. I'm basically hitting myself in the head. So that's, pro that's option number one, that Pharaoh had no free will at all, and therefore he really wasn't making any decisions. Option number two is that Pharaoh had free will. And so that would explain why for some of those plagues, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. He was the one that did it and therefore rejected uh, the request by Moses. But option number two also includes that God stepped in and suspended Pharaoh's free will or removed Pharaoh, that gift that he'd given Pharaoh of free will, removed that from him. And that would, that would be God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And it says that God hardened his heart. That's option number two. 
is that we can have free will, but God is able to step in and suspend that freedom that we have. It does not logically follow, though, that therefore we never have free will or we're never accountable for our decisions. It would only follow that for those decisions that God steps in, that God has to take responsibility for those. We certainly can't because God made that happen. So Pharaoh wouldn't be held responsible if God stepped in in that specific space. No, if God, if God, if Pharaoh has no choice in the matter, then God's uh, Pharaoh, God would not hold Pharaoh accountable because it's God that's doing it. If God is going to get upset about that choice, he has to get upset about himself because he's the one that caused that to happen. And God does not get upset about himself. Like if you take a high view of God, God is not self-defeating. He's not self He does not. In fact, it says he does not tempt. God is not tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. So there's a problem with saying that God makes people do morally evil things. In Pharaoh's case, though, um, he's just denying the, he has the authority, the God-given authority as the ruler of Egypt to decide whether or not they get to leave or not. And he's deciding, no, they don't get to leave. God steps in, makes sure that decision is they don't get to leave happens. He hardens Pharaoh's heart. But there's a third option. And this is where I think um, uh, people make mistakes is that they interpret God hardening someone's heart as equal to God took away his free will. Now, hardening a person's heart can be done without taking away a person's free will or influencing a person to say yes or no. That happens all the time. A salesman came to my door just yesterday and wanted to sell me a photograph, an aerial photograph of my house. And he was trying to um, not harden my heart against that decision, but influence me to say yes rather than rather than influence me to say no now there are things it's a lot a lot easier sometimes in certain circumstances to influence to harden a person's heart against making this decision if we make the decision uh very unattractive or we influence that person and and we can do that all the time politicians are doing that all the time Mm -hmm. the media is doing it all the time and hardening people's hearts um it's just totally a human thing, but we're not suspending people's free will here. We're influencing them. And so the mistake people can make is to say, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Therefore, we don't have free will. That is a massive leap. It is even a leap to say, therefore, God took away Pharaoh's free will. No, all he did was harden his heart. That is influence Pharaoh to the point where he would say no, even though Pharaoh would still be held morally responsible for that decision. Because in the end, he could have, despite the influences, decided to do the right thing, but he didn't. God brought, made sure that he would not allow the nation of Israel to be released at that point, so that for a greater good. So the the other uh, one, and I don't think we we have time to get into this today, but um, I I think the interesting one is Judas because of the the prophecies that would that were in play, even to the point of the 30 pieces of silver, you've got the Pharisees as agents, you've got the, the other disciples, you have all the different things that had Judas becoming a disciple in the first place. Um, at what point is Judas responsible for his behavior since it was 
predicted it was going to be happening. Is it one of the 12 is going to do it? Or is it specifically that one? Um, I, I just, that's where it gets into some really crazy uh, things because you, you, it was prophesied. <laughs> um, somebody's going to be yeah. one of the, one of the 12 is uh, the bad one. And uh, yeah. You so, see, if God transcends time, yeah. uh, let's say, for example, then he's already there when Judas is making his decision. Like the, Time for God, there's no past, present, or future, if that is the case that God transcends time. So God knows Judas is going to betray Jesus, and God isn't making Judas betray Jesus. He simply observes Judas betraying Jesus. He knows his moral decisions. Now, it's not just God passively standing back, watching history unfold. I suspect, on very good grounds, that God is massively involved in human history as, let's call, the orchestrator of history. So you have, uh, I used to be in a band um, years ago. We had a conductor and there were about, let's say, 35 musicians in the band. And the, orchestra, orchestra, the, the, the conductor of the orchestra uh, then would cause this one, or not cause, but direct this section of the band to start, this one to tone it down a bit. He's waving his arms around, he's keeping time, and he's orchestrating the music that comes out. Nevertheless... Um, I could just randomly decide I'm going to play a wrong note or I'm not going to play. Sometimes if I, I saw, oops, I think I'm going to mess up here, I would just st has stop playing because nobody will notice because there's so many trombones in the section. Nobody will notice I'm not playing anymore, and then I'll pick it up after this hard section. That was when I'm a newer guy in the band. I was a, I was a, a kid at the time. And in the same way, uh, God is the orchestrator of history, and he's not only seeing what he can... He's not only seeing what Judas will decide under, uh, but he just sees what Judas is going to decide under a wide variety of circumstances that God himself can bring about. God is the orchestrator of history. So it's not like the Alice example that Peter Van Inwagen gives where Alice makes the same decision every time because she's in exactly the same circumstances and she processes that the same way because Alice herself does not change. That's the key. Alice herself does not change in Inwagen's scenario. And I think that's where I'm going to pursue this, that I think that's the solution to Inwagen's problem. In Judas's case, though, um, God knew a wide variety of circumstances that Judas could have been in. Jesus himself is right there, who is the Father. He says, to, if, he says I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So God is very much involved in the circumstances. And uh, Judas decides to do the wrong thing. And God knew that from the foundation of the world, that in those circumstances, he will decide to do the wrong thing. And if you trace the, uh, the outcome of that decision back, Judas is critical here. It comes to his decision to betray Jesus Christ. So God creates the circumstances within which Judas will betray Jesus Christ. And Judas knowing in advance that if Judas is in those circumstances, he will perform a moral deliberation. And we know that Judas wasn't particularly good at this because he used to pilfer from the money bag or the money box. So he already has a morally bad track record. And God knew this and said, okay, Judas will do this of his own free will. And when Jesus says, when it says that it would be better if Judas had never been born, 
there implies that there's going to be consequences of Judas's that Judas is going to have to take responsibility for us, so we know that free will was involved. So the serpent's saying here, Jesus, Judas reformed, but he did not re- repent. Um, I think he he felt really guilty. I don't know if he reformed. Yeah, um, I'm not completely sure on what is meant by reformed here. It might be that Serpent's talking about this. So this is, a, I think, you were talking a little bit about uh, God choosing. Um, God choosing to um, put himself into play in in the hearts of people. And so um, this is where I think we're getting into some predestination, which is going to have to come later. Cause we'll I, do a whole session on that, maybe even one. more than one, because predestination is very much a part of the conversation. No, we do observe that Judas did feel horrible yeah. afterwards. Um, but he took the wrong path uh, i mean we're we're told that uh, well first of all he he didn't the, the the reward that he thought he'd get from this didn't turn out to be very enjoyable he literally threw that money back in the temple um that doesn't necessarily mean that he um there's sometimes people feel bad because they're caught or they feel bad because they're tormented by guilt but they don't follow through with the right actions which um, he, he eventually committed suicide. Yeah. And so uh, that, again, is a wrong action. So I'm not... Um, Judas Judas has still got a problem, I think, because it, even though he felt guilty, and people do feel guilty without, but still have to... Re, we, we see that all the time in court, that people feel guilty about this. There's some sort of but there's still consequences for what they did and they have to, they have to take those consequences for, there's still consequences of justice. And we we talked about that last week where um, it's the, okay. Judas could have done what that other uh, guilty guy on the cross did and and said, you know what, that I really screwed up. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was overwhelmed by his guilt and, yeah, he did not take the normal, like say in Jewish and Judaism at the time, there was a procedure of sacrifice at the temple if you wanted to find forgiveness or cleansing or atonement for what you had done. Judas did not do that. And then we see in the in the New Covenant or the New Testament, there's also you can go to God himself and confess, I have done wrong. He could have gone to Jesus Christ even after he was arrested because we know that John... It seems that John had access to Christ. Peter comes into the courtyard there and just, uh, I've done wrong. But he did not go the proper route to find forgiveness and cleansing from sin. And I think that maybe that's yeah. maybe what the comment is referring to when Jesus reformed but not repent. Yeah. Is that uh, he did so, Serpa, feel free. Um, uh, let us know what you're thinking there if you're still watching. Um, we do need to end this because uh, I need to um head up to the city and meet uh our president's coming to town so uh, i'm gonna spend some time with them um any last things that you wanted to can deal with today i think we've barely scratched the issue of free will yeah. actually there's um let's say for example but free will. specifically around the mystery i know i know his his yeah. title was the mi- free i will personally think the mystery, mystery. 
yeah, Inwagen's um, mystery here can be solved by treating agent causation seriously when it comes to his example of Alice. That if we're going to say the effects of the universe can determine the same thing the same way every time, um, then we also have to take into consideration that a free agent can determine if the sa it's the same free agent uh, with the same criteria that she's considering, she will come to the same conclusion every time because she's actually determining the, that decision and the determination does not change um, if she's remaining the same person. By that, I mean, we're not introducing new factors every time we re rewind the tape. New factors for Alice to consider. But it's not luck here. It's Alice's consideration of those factors. If they're the same thing every time, she will come to the same conclusion every time. When she weighs between the two options, she could do either, but she decides to go with that. And if that's the case, she will do the same decision every time. So it goes back to what, what we mean by could have chosen otherwise. But could have chosen otherwise, we can't smuggle luck into there or some probability calculation into there. We have to say what we mean by that. She could have chosen otherwise. In other words, she could have weighed the options and decided to lie. But if that's the case, she will do that the same every time. She will lie every time when you rewind the tape. Yeah, and... and that to me, when I was reading it and I didn't understand everything he was saying there, but I'm like, but why would the decision that she made without anything else affecting it, why would that decision be like, she's either morally arbitrary, right? Good, de good decisions yeah. and not lying or she's um, okay. Um, talk about this in a sec but um she was either making a decision based on logic and reason and and the factors in play and if those don't change why would she make a different decision that's right she's performing moral deliberation now they might change if it was there was no moral value either way like do you want i don't know do you want to put your coffee cup here or one centimeter to the left i don't care and mm -hmm. if you rewind the tape uh, it'll be on my desk, mind you. It'll be, it won't be on the floor. So there'll still be some constraints, but within those possibilities, uh, there'll be a, it'll be within the, still the constraints that I want it on my desk at least and within comfortable reach. And, and we can, we can ask the questions about, okay, is that a mind decision or is that a brain thing? Cause is that a brain reflex just putting it down where the mind doesn't even get involved? Yeah, the mind doesn't need to control exactly where my coffee cup. The mind says, I want it on the desk. Then the brain just, I don't supervise the brain sufficiently to put it on this exact position. I just supervise the brain enough to make sure it lands on my desk. And then the body, the muscles, the gravitational field, strength of the wind. If I got the wind, the window open, what I ate for breakfast, that will nuance where it lands on my desk. Yeah. And you rewind the tape, it'll always land on my desk, but the nuance, mm -hmm. the luck, let's say luck. In fact, if you rewind the tape, I think it'll still wind up. Um, oh, yes. Okay. Uh, I see Serpa has clarified our comment here. Repentance is not remorse, resolve, reform. Yeah, yeah. The remorse is often seen in the courtroom. But um, a lot of times they're sorry because they got caught or sorry because of the consequences. 
They can even be sorry because their guilt is really hammering them. But feeling guilty is not repentance. It's not turning away from that course of action. Say, look, there needs to be a change in my life. And uh, I, I don't ever want to be the kind of person that does this. Now, in real life, if we, we all have Achilles heels and weaknesses, that may be a battle that takes days, months, or even years. But there is a genuine repentance if that genuine battle is taking place. And there's a resolve and a commitment to not lose this one. And there, ultimately, we have to go to God, I think. Even AA appeals to a higher force. Alcohols, Alcoholics Anonymous, a higher force. We do need the role of God in our lives, mm -hmm. our higher force, to bring about that change. And, and I think that's why if you don't believe in God, you're going to find that somewhere else. And often it's yeah. government. Um, that's why dictators can do what they do is people need somebody to con control them, somebody to um, worship, somebody to... Yeah, in fact, the less morally right decisions we tend to make, the more we tend to just do whatever we want to do, the more of government tends to have to create more laws to make us behave, so to speak. So ultimately, the further we get from God, the closer we get to government control and more laws to try and make people behave because it's no longer intrinsic, it's extrinsic to make people behave. I'm not behaving because I want to, I'm behaving because I have to. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you very much, Serpa, for your comments. If anybody else has comments, please leave them in the uh, chat there for us or go to kirkdurston.com and um, send in a private comment there. Uh, you can also like, um, if you like the video, please hit the like button. It really does help us. <coughs> and uh, subscribe, hit the bell to be notified if you want that. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kirk, for um, all your thoughts. Uh, we will see you next week. Yes, good to be part of this discussion. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.